1: Hey there, folks. Welcome back to Old Montana Cowboy Podcast. I'm your host, Murrow, and I reckon it's time. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design
0: and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com ACAST. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.
1: Time for another round of spine-tingling tales from park rangers' campers and the deep, dark woods that'll make you think twice about pitching your tent. So grab a stick and roast a marshmallow, because we're about to dive into some true disturbing horror stories that'll keep you all on the edge of your seats. My name is Jack, and I'm a seasoned hunter, always in search of the next big prize. This time I was after the ultimate trophy, a magnificent deer that had eluded me for years. The excitement of the hunt coursed through my veins as I set off deeper into the forest. As the sun dipped lower and lower in the sky, the shadows cast by the towering trees grew longer and more ominous. I couldn't shake the feeling that something was watching me. The forest had become eerily quiet, the usual rustling of leaves and the chattering of birds replaced by an oppressive silence. I pressed on, determined not to let my fears get the better of me, but as the hours passed I began to experience horrifying hallucinations. The trees around me seemed to twist and contort, their branches reaching out like gnarled hands, trying to grab me. I heard eerie whispers in the wind voices that seemed to be calling my name. My heart pounded, and my rational mind struggled to make sense of what was happening. The line between reality and nightmare blurred, and I found myself questioning my sanity. Could it be that the legends were true? That the Windigo, a terrifying creature of myth, haunted these woods? I shook my head, trying to dispel the terror that threatened to overwhelm me. As I stumbled through the forest, My eyes caught a glimpse of something that made my blood run cold. There, among the twisted trees, stood the wendigo. Its eyes burned with a malevolent hunger, and its emaciated form towered above me. But as quickly as it had appeared, the creature vanished into the shadows, leaving me questioning whether it had been real or just another hallucination. My legs gave out, and I collapsed to the forest floor, my vision blurring as darkness crept in. The last thing I remember before losing consciousness was the chilling sensation of the wendigo's breath on the back of my neck. When I awoke, the sun had risen and the forest was alive with the sounds of birdsong and rustling leaves. The terror of the previous night seemed like a distant memory, and I found that I could recall nothing of the wendigo or the horrors I had experienced. I struggled to my feet, my body aching from the cold and the strain of the night's ordeal. As I made my way back to civilization, I couldn't help but feel that I had somehow survived an encounter with something truly evil. But the memories remained locked away, hidden even from myself. Perhaps it was for the best. Some things are better left forgotten. And so I returned home, my quest for the deer unfulfilled. But something had changed within me. The fear that had gripped me in those dark woods had left its mark. A lingering reminder that there are mysteries in this world that we may never truly understand. We was walking through the woods in Tuskegee, Alabama, in the Tuskegee National Forest going duck hunting while we were walking. We stopped for a quick minute to rest, and I looked up and seen something flash before my eyes as we got to our destination at the swamp. We looked to our left and saw something walking across the beaver dam. We did not believe it acknowledged our presence. We would describe it as a tall, wide, black from head to toe creature walking upright on two legs trying to quickly get into the woods. Also looked like as if he were carrying a large object in one hand. It was time to go after that. The hunt was over. One particular instance stands out as the most unnerving thing I've experienced. It's one thing to see a sign warning about a predator in the area. It's another thing to be stalked by it all day. Anyway, I went out one afternoon on my small-john boat to do some fishing in the swamp, mainly for warmth. I was pretty familiar with the area and motored out three, four miles to reach my favorite spot. Alligators are fairly commonplace out there, and it's just something you become accustomed to. Generally, if you respect them, they'll respect you as they've become pretty used to fishermen. The water in the swamps are full of tannic acid from the decaying leaves on the bottom, so the water looks inky black at first, and visibility is only a few inches. Anything that is visible just under the surface is tinted a dark amber color. I'd caught a few fish and noticed that around fifty-sixty yards back up the canal, a pair of eyes floating just above the water was pointed my direction. It was a gator. No big deal. They've learned to be opportunistic and steal stringers of fish if you leave them hanging over the side of the boat. I continued fishing for a few minutes, and had just reached down over the side of the boat to grab the lip of a wormoth I'd hooked. As I pulled the fish out, I saw the faintest glint of amber in the water about a foot below where my hand had just been. I watched as the faint glint slowly rose up towards the surface of the water, revealing two black eyes and the largest jaw on any gator I've ever seen in the wild. I slid back to the center of my small John boat as the head of the gator broke the surface. I could feel its back sliding along the bottom of my boat, shifting its light. After watching it for 10-15 seconds, it finally swam out from under the boat. I'm guessing it was pushing 12-13 feet, and that's after having seen hundreds of gators. This gator followed me the rest of the day. I'd motor ahead a ways just to put some distance between us, and not long after I'd stop, I'd feel that familiar bump on the bottom of the boat again. Each time, it would eventually just swim off a few feet to turn and stare at me. I never felt more outmatched. This dark, quiet, toothy bastard had the ability to sneak up on you anytime it pleases and get within three feet of you before you ever know it's there. Do you know how unnerving it is to look something in the eye if that makes it abundantly clear that it's only waiting for you to make a mistake? There's a level of intelligence and focus in those eyes that makes you understand your place in the food chain. It's not the first time gators have followed me. I've been followed by three at one time before. But none have ever made me so intimately aware that the only thing on its mind was to drag me out of my boat and under the surface of that black water. At the time of this incident I was a contracted delivery driver for an auto parts distributor I traveled this section of Interstate 5 Monday through Friday towing a 16-enclosed trailer with my three-fourth-ton Dodge four-wheel drive truck. As was typical for a weeknight at one o'clock in the morning, there was nearly no other traffic on the road with me. With my cruise control set at 73 miles per hour, my headlights lit up something laying centered in the right-hand lane directly in front of me. I knew there was going to be contact, but rather than swerve and risk lossing control, I chose to line up and attempt to strike the object with the undercarriage of my truck. I don't remember touching the brakes or making any effort to slow down. In the seconds leading up to impact, all I could do was brace myself and wonder what it was that I was about to splatter down the highway. Driving as many miles as I did I had, or thought I had, seen every form of indigenous wildlife Oregon has to offer. Either alive and scampering or squished beside the road, I didn't need to see more than a glimpse of fur to identify a critter, even at night. As I closed on this object, I couldn't identify it. It had the coloration of deer, but it was much bigger. It wasn't an elk, as I didn't see any legs, or the characteristic outline of the hip, shoulders, and tappered neck had it been laying the other way. This was fast turning from an object to a body, a large hairy body laying in the fetal position with its back facing me. As weird as this was, it was about to get even more interesting. Confused with what I was seeing, and braced for what was going to be a bumpy ride, something flashed directly in front of my bumper from left to right. As close as this thing was to my truck, all I could see was the flash of brownish-grey hair as it crossed in front of me. It was like sitting, parked in a car. at night and someone walks from one side of the car to the other. All you see is the strobe effect as they pass in front of the headlights. But I was moving at 70 miles per hour. I'm 5 feet 10 tall, and if I stood next to the headlights on my truck, my shoulders are at the height of the headlights. What I saw was more the rib section of the creature that crossed in front of me. Whatever this was, it was big enough, strong enough, fast enough, and felt the need to pull a 600-pound creature out of the way of my truck, because not only did I miss what ran in front of me, I didn't hit anything. As a young police officer named Harry, I received a call from a park ranger in Ozark National Park. There had been a murder of a hiker, and they suspected something paranormal, but they weren't sure. Being an avid believer in the unknown, I was immediately intrigued and said I would check it. Once I arrived at the park, the ranger led me to the hiker's corpse. Upon analyzing the body, I concluded that it had been attacked by a bear. But the ranger shook his head, telling me that bears don't leave bodies behind. They eat them. He continued saying that this was the work of some serious cryptid, possibly a loop guru. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. A werewolf in Ozark National Park. It seemed impossible, yet the evidence was right there in front of me. The ranger told me that the full moon was that night, and that I should investigate then. As night fell and the full moon rose high in the sky, I made my way back to the crime scene, alone. As I approached the corpse, I watched in horror as it began to transform before my eyes. The body contorted and twisted, taking on the shape of a monstrous werewolf, and with a roar it lunged towards me before running off into the woods. I was in shock, unable to move or even think. How could this be possible? I had always been skeptical of the supernatural, but now I had witnessed it firsthand. I knew that no one would believe me and that my career as a police officer would be over if I reported it. I spent the next few weeks in a daze, unable to shake the memory of that night. I couldn't sleep, couldn't eat, couldn't function, and eventually I was committed to a mental asylum, deemed too unstable to continue my duties as a police officer. But even in the asylum I couldn't escape the memory of that night in Ozark National Park. I knew that the werewolf was still out there roaming the woods and that it would always be a part of me. I could only hope that one day someone would believe my story and put an end to the monster that had destroyed my life. I never believed in ghosts or monsters until that night. The night we stumbled upon the abandoned ranger station deep in the woods. We were just a group of friends looking for a weekend getaway in nature. But we never expected to find what we did. The ranger station was old, decrepit, and looked like it hadn't been used in years. But we were desperate for shelter, and we decided to spend the night there. As the sun went down, we started to feel uneasy. The station was eerily quiet, with only the sound of the wind rustling through the trees. And then we heard it. A low, growling sound that seemed to come from all around us. At first we thought it might be a bear or some other wild animal. But as the night wore on, we realized that something was hunting us, picking us off one by one. It started with one of us disappearing, and then another. We searched the station from top to bottom, but we found nothing. And then we saw it, a shadowy figure lurking in the darkness, its eyes glowing with an otherworldly light. We tried to leave, but something was blocking our path. We were trapped, with nowhere to run and no one to call for help. And as the night went on, we learned the horrifying truth. The ranger station was abandoned for a reason. And that reason was still there. We found old newspaper clippings that told the story of the ranger who used to live there. He was known for his love of nature and his dedication to protecting the forest. But something had changed him. Something had driven him to madness. And in the end, he had disappeared without a trace. As we read the articles, we started to hear footsteps coming from the hallway. And then we saw him. The ranger, what was left of him. He was covered in matted fur, his eyes glowing with a sinister light. We tried to fight him off, but he was too strong. He had become something beyond human. Something that couldn't be killed by conventional means. As we fought for our lives, we realized that we had made a terrible mistake. We had come to the ranger station looking for adventure, but we had found something much darker. Something that had been waiting for us, something that had been hungry for years, in the end Only a few of us made it out alive. We stumbled through the woods, battered and bruised, our hearts racing with fear.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com/pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: And as we looked back at the Ranger Station, we knew that we could never go back. The station was cursed, haunted by a horror beyond comprehension, and we were lucky to have survived. But we knew that we would never forget the night we stumbled upon the abandoned ranger station deep in the woods. As a park ranger, I've always loved exploring the wilderness, and I've seen some strange things over the years. But nothing could have prepared me for what I found deep in the heart of the park. It was a hot summer day and I was on patrol making my way through a dense thicket of trees when I stumbled upon a small town. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before, and at first I thought I had stumbled upon some sort of movie set. The buildings were small and rustic, made of weathered wood and surrounded by gardens filled with herbs and vegetables. The people who lived there were Native Americans, and they all seemed to be busy with their daily tasks. They stopped and looked at me as if they were surprised to see me there. As I approached, I was greeted by a man who introduced himself as the leader of the community. He explained that they had been living there for generations in harmony with nature and each other. They had no interest in the outside world, and preferred to keep to themselves. I was fascinated by their way of life, and I spent the next few hours talking to the locals and learning about their customs and traditions. But as the sun began to set, they started to warn me about something I had never heard of before, the wendigo. They told me that the wendigo was a dangerous creature that roamed the deep woods, preying on anyone who was foolish enough to venture into its territory. They warned me to stay away from the woods at night, and to always be on the lookout for any signs of the creature. I didn't believe them, of course. I had seen my fair share of dangerous animals in the park, but I had never heard of anything like the wendigo. I thanked them for their hospitality and went on my way, convinced that they were just trying to scare me. As I made my way back to the ranger station, the sun had already set, and the woods were shrouded in darkness. I heard strange noises coming from the trees, and I could feel a sense of unease creeping up on me. It was as if the forest itself was alive and watching me. And then, out of nowhere, I saw it, a creature that was unlike anything I had ever seen before. It was tall and emaciated, with long bony limbs and piercing red eyes. It stood there watching me before disappearing into the woods. I was terrified. I had never felt so alone and vulnerable in my life. I tried to run, but I quickly realized that I was hopelessly lost. The woods seemed to stretch out in all directions, and I had no idea which way to go. As the night wore on, the creature continued to haunt me, appearing and disappearing as if toying with me. I was cold, hungry, and scared out of my mind, and then, just as suddenly as it had started, it was over. The sun began to rise, and the creature was gone. When I finally made it back to the ranger station, I was a mess. I had never been so scared of my life and I knew that I had come dangerously close to becoming the Windigo's next victim. I tried to tell my colleagues what had happened, but they didn't believe me. They thought I was just tired and, and imagining things. But I knew what I had seen, and I knew that I would never forget the terror that I had experienced in those woods. From that day on, I made sure to listen to the warnings of the locals, and to always be on the lookout for any signs of danger because in the deep woods of the park you never know what might be lurking just beyond the trees. I'm really not into hiking because I'm a very cautious person, and I do my best to keep my friends out of trouble. But that's where my issue was. I ended up going with my friends along this trail, so I could keep them from doing irrational, impulsive things. Anyhow come to a crossing where there was a rope bridge. Major No-No in my books but my friends insisted upon crossing. I told them to pick up this small granite boulder and chuck it on the bridge to prove my point. They did it, and it didn't collapse, so they started crossing. Unfortunately, I was the last one to cross, and when I was about three-fourth way across the bridge, it collapsed, and I fell about twenty-something feet. I was crazy lucky because I had offered to take most of my friends' sleeping bags, and I had strapped them all over me to carry them comfortably because they are much stronger than I am. I landed and blacked out, but I managed with only five broken ribs and a dislocated shoulder as well as a small hairline fracture in my radius. The worst part for me, though, was all of the animal carcasses at the bottom of the crevasse. I was just starting my vet studies at the time, and the mutilated bodies were so grim. They were the first things I saw when I woke up, and some of them were fracked. My legs landed on a dog, and there was a fawn a few meters away from my face. I was so sore and couldn't move because I was afraid that I might have been paralyzed, and all I could do was cry. My best friend heard me and shouted down, and I tried to scream to him. Thank God that rescue was called almost immediately, and I was lifted out. It's safe to say that my friends now take my intuition as law. I lived in New York around the time that Ralph Bucky Phillips was on the run. He was a fugitive who had killed at least one police officer. At any rate, I was out for a hike near my old farmhouse and came across a recently vacated campsite. It still had recently purchased canned goods, tent and sleeping bag though nobody was around. I got stupidly fearless when I should know better sometimes and peered into the tent, but there was nobody around as far as I could see. I got the creep strongly and headed back, not going directly home zigzagging in case I was being followed. Whether or not it was him, odds are it was probably just some squatter who was hiding from me themselves, not wanting to get caught on private land. It was still horrifying to have it slowly dawn on me that I was alone in what was basically somebody's home, and they could do whatever they wanted to about that. Another time, different place. My friend and I were exploring some disused and abandoned underground mines in our state. The way it is set up, you have to pass through a main room when you first go in. It is sort of open to the outside, but also sheltered, if that makes sense. It branches out into several veins that go underground and become pitch black, totally zero percent visibility in there without a flashlight. So we chose the usual route. We had been in there several times already and had a usual route, low and explored for a few hours. It became time to head back. We reached the main room, and there is a fresh large pile of human feces right in our path to get out. It was most definitely not there when we entered and we remained close together at all times. So I knew that my friend hadn't done the shit. We had to really stretch to avoid stepping in it. We managed to avoid it totally, but how disgusting. And as we passed the stone hallway that led to another branch of the mine, we saw some sort of light way down there where it opens into a larger, totally black room. My guess is that we interrupted a squatter who did not want to be seen, but also did not want to just allow some twenty-something weirdos to traipse all around their territory, and they took the shit to make a statement. We actually called out, Hey, if someone hears this and is staying here, we meant no harm and didn't do anything to destroy your home because we are considerate like that. Really, one morning my friend Joe took myself and another butt of mine uh, Alec, on a trip to the coast range. We'd done this a few times in the Cascades, but hadn't yet taken a trip to this one particular area south of Corvallis, then west into the mountains via logging roads through an area where odd things have been reported in the past. Joe was aware of this. This specific road goes up a canyon that holds very few homes. Approximately one-half mile above this last house was a turn where several trees blocked the road. Probably Tiber-Thebes. At any rate, we couldn't drive over it. Plus, it was early March and not too many roads, if any, had been cleared yet. It was raining, as it usually is that time of year, but we'd been driving for two hours and wanted to walk. We put on our hats and coats and just started walking in this road. I honestly remember thinking we were making a lot of noise. Approximately one half mile from the truck, we came around another tight curve in the road. At that point, my friend Alec stopped along the left side of the road, which ran fairly steeply down into a small ravine where a creek was at the bottom. Joe and I turned to Alec, who was looking at something along the side of the road. He told us to come back and look at something. We did, and what he had found startled us. It was a clear, five-toed footprint of very big size. We couldn't believe it. The camera was in the truck. The rain was coming down, and we knew the clearness wasn't going to hold long. This is also how we knew the tracks were fresh. They were ringing with such detail it was obvious that we had spooked it up out of there. We'd been right on top of it. If we just hadn't have been talking and laughing it up, perhaps we would have seen whatever it was. Joe finally opted to go back to the truck to get a camera. Alec and I stayed there and literally watched the track dissolve with the rain. We couldn't tell where the beast had gone on up the hill, lost the tracks once they hit the gravel on the road. So we backtracked and followed them quite a ways down the canyon. Most of the tracks were simply large impressions in the duff. The only one that was clear enough to totally see was the one Alec first spotted. Alec went back to the first track, and I started walking the timber back toward the general direction of the truck. I was basically walking with the road, only down on the brush. About thirty feet away from the tracks were a second set of smaller prints that also came up out of the canyon and headed up to the road. I followed them up, and at about ten feet short of the gravel they cut to the right. This would have been right toward us. They cut, then straightened out, and we crossed the road at an angle. Then all I lost them... About ten minutes later, Joe finally got back. We took pictures, but as we had figured, the tracks were mere disturbances in the ground now. Nearly all the detail was long gone, washed away. Only big foot-like outlines remained. While we were taking pics, Joe suddenly asked if we had heard anything. Without thinking twice, I said I had heard bird calls. Joe looked at me a long time then said he'd heard bird calls back at the truck. There's a problem here. Birds don't call in the rain. The calls we heard were almost crow-like, only not very loud. We were getting soaked, had been there over an hour by this point, so we went back to the truck and left. Later when the pictures came back we were very disappointed with the lack of detail. I am FBI Agent Kate, and I have been assigned to investigate a string of disappearances in a remote national park. The disappearances have all occurred in the same area, and the victims have never been found. The locals believe that a cryptid is responsible for the attacks, and it's my job to investigate. I arrived at the park and began my investigation. I spoke to the locals and scoured the woods for any signs of the creature, but nothing came up and I was starting to feel frustrated. One night, as I was walking back to my cabin, I heard a strange noise. It was a low growl, and it seemed to be coming from the woods. I hesitated, unsure of what to do, but I knew I had to investigate. As I walked into the woods, the sounds grew louder. I could hear twigs snapping underfoot, and the growling grew more intense. Suddenly, something lunged at me from the darkness. I didn't even have time to react. I hit the ground hard, and the creature was on top of me. I tried to fight back, but it was too strong. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before. It had long, razor-sharp claws, and its skin was mottled with green and brown. Its eyes glowed in the darkness, and its breath was hot against my face. I tried to reach for my gun, but it was too late. The creature's jaws closed around my neck and I knew that I was done for. I could feel its teeth sinking into my flesh, and I knew that I had only moments left to live. But then something strange happened. The creature suddenly recoiled as if it had been burned. It let out a loud screech and ran off into the woods. I lay there gasping for breath and trying to process what had just happened. I managed to make it back to my cabin, but I was in bad shape. The creature had left deep wounds on my neck, and I knew that I needed medical attention. But more than that, I knew that I had to warn the others. I reported the incident to my superiors, and they sent a team to investigate. They found evidence of the creature, and I was hailed as a hero for surviving the attack. But even as I accepted their praise, I knew that something wasn't right. The woods were full of secrets, and i had just uncovered one of the darkest.